Well, we're in week two of our new series called The Good Book. This is a series that's basically about the big ideas of the Bible. We're not going down deep into any one thing, really. What we're doing is what I call taking the balcony view. Okay, we're going up and kind of looking at the whole thing from the balcony to see how it works together because as followers of Christ, as Christians, we need to be able to connect the dots. We need to be able to tell the story from Genesis to Revelation. I want you to be able to explain your faith. When people ask you at work, when people ask you at school, I want you to be confident in what you believe and not just say, well, I believe it. That's, you know, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Remember that? Well, that's great for you but maybe not so much for the person you're trying to win to the Lord. I want you to be confident and know how to explain what you believe. But remember, the primary goal is not knowledge. That's good, and knowledge is great, and it's powerful, but that's not the only goal. The main reason we're taking quite a bit of time for this series is not just academic exercise. We study God's Word so that we can know His heart. We read the Bible for intimacy with the Father and not just information. Now, I covered a lot of ground last week, so if you missed, and I, I was setting up the whole series and the importance of the series last Sunday, so if you missed that, be sure to jump online and get caught up with that one. Now, obviously, I can't review every sermon every week. Uh, we never get finished, but I do want us to read the foundational text for the series. Paul's talking to Timothy, his protege, his son in the Lord, in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit didn't physically write the words to every Scripture, but the Holy Spirit inspired people to write the Scripture over a 1,500-year period, 66 different books in the Bible. So their style comes out, their passions come out, their different education levels come out. But it was the Holy Spirit that inspired them. So all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, everybody say so that. There's a reason, okay, he's saying. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of God. You are the subject of Paul's message here. You have a work to accomplish. You have a calling on your life. I think that's one of the biggest things, the biggest problems in the American church is that as long as you're sitting on this side in a pew looking up at a stage, the calling is on the stage, not in the pew. That's a bunch of baloney. It's lies. All I'm doing is facilitating. All I'm doing is teaching and shepherding and guiding. We all have a calling on our life. And it may or may not be what you do for a living. A paycheck has nothing to do with it. But the Word of God has everything to do with it. The Word of God is what will train you and equip you. The Word of God is what separates us from the world and gets us ready to do what God has called us to do. Somebody give Him praise this morning if you believe it. So as we go into this next talk, let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for these manuscripts that have come together and been held together 
and, and, and preserved for thousands of years. God, we, we, we put our heart into it right now, and I'm praying that it wouldn't just be dusty words on black words on white paper, that it would be rhema, it would be a right now word, prophetic and powerful in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So today we're going to start at the beginning, literally. Today the goal is to learn what we can about God and about ourselves in the first few chapters of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Genesis 1-1 or you can simply look at the screen, follow along there. Genesis 1-1 in the NIV says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Can we read that short scripture together? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is a major problem for a lot of people. Right off the bat, first scripture. This keeps a lot of folks right here from coming to Christ and giving their life to Jesus. And I hear this a lot. Maybe you do too. They, some people say, I'm fine with Jesus. He's an historical figure. We've, they've proven it. He's, he was alive. He was a good man. He was a phenomenal teacher. He had high moral character. I'm fine with Jesus. But it's all the other crazy stuff that I read in there. That I have a problem. I mean, come on. Creation in six days? Noah's Ark, really? They got all the animals on one boat? Am I, am I, have you ever heard these arguments? Moses parting the Red Sea, they walked across, and the ocean parted, and they, and, come on. The sun standing still for Joshua? Elijah calling literal fire down from heaven? The Hebrew boars thrown into a fire, and they survived? Daniel in the lion's den? Samson killing a thousand soldiers all by himself? And many, many more. In other words, what they're saying is I, I have a problem with the supernatural. I have a problem with the supernatural. Now, you may be here this morning. And if you were being honest, I just hit the nail on the head. And it's not, I'm not describing somebody out there. I'm actually describing sometimes how you feel. Now, you know there's something real about this. You know that you sense the presence of God. That's why you keep coming back. Maybe that's why you are here to begin with. But to be honest, you do struggle with some of these fantastic supernatural stories in this book. I know you do. I'm the pastor and I read the Bible every single day, and there's sometimes I'm reading through some of these stories, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wow. But this is what I want us to understand, especially about creation, okay? The big idea of creation is not the timeline or even the details. The main thing you and I need to understand and embrace when it comes to how we got here, look at the screen, in the beginning, God. I thought I'd get a little better than that. In the beginning, God. Now, if you can't reconcile, if you're a, uh, this logistical thinker and you're a scientific thinker and you can't, it's really hard for you to, to reconcile the science right away and all of that, don't worry about that right now. Put that to the side. Don't let that trip you up. The main thing you need to know is that you are not here by accident. Your life is not random. Out of nothing, hear me now, out of nothing, God spoke and there was something. 
Now, we can debate the timeline and the science all day. People have been doing it for thousands of years. They will continue to do it. Even Christians debate about this. But that is secondary. Everybody say secondary. That is secondary to the fact that God is the creator and the author of life. Even the most devout atheistic scientist cannot explain the beginning. Now, they love to tell you what happens after the Big Bang or whatever they say. You know, they love to explain evolution and all their knowledge and their dating and, and all of this. But they cannot, if pressed, they cannot explain how it all came out of nothing. Now, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll mumble something over gases and a spark and blah, blah, blah. Well, how did the gases get there? How did the spark occur? In my opinion, there is only one logical answer, and that is supernatural. There had to be a a creator to begin everything. The only possible answer, in my opinion, is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at the screen. The big idea of creation isn't how or when, but who. Let me read it again. Y'all are like really quiet today, making me nervous. I preach longer when I'm nervous, so. The the big idea of creation isn't how or when, but who. Now, obviously, there has to be an element of faith here. We can't get around that. And listen to me, we shouldn't get around that. It bothers me when, when preachers, good preachers, good pastors try to preach around faith or preach around science or preach around whatever, preach around the miraculous and the supernatural in an effort to be more current or relevant or secret sense or whatever title you put on it. God is supernatural. <laughs> you can't get around that and we should. Faith is necessary. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, It is by grace we have been saved through faith. But in my opinion, it takes just as much faith, if not more faith, to believe we accidentally got here. That somehow, in unexplainable, unprovable way, something came out of nothing. Do you know that's never happened again? In all of our science, all of our technological advances, everything, all this period of time that we've been keeping history, nothing has ever come out of nothing. Something has never come out of nothing. It's never happened because it can't. So that's the first takeaway of the day. Creation isn't about how or when, but who. Out of nothing. Remember that. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. God made something. Our next big idea is about creation itself, namely you and I. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So right here we get our first glimpse at what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Three, Trinities means three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is quoted here as saying, let us. 
Now, this is really hard for us to understand because we, our finite human minds can't comprehend the perfect unity that it takes to be three in one. We don't understand that kind of unity. We have our little illustrations. Have you heard of the one about the apple? The apple has a core. It has the meat and it has the peeling, but it's one apple. Or what about water? H2O, it can exist in a a liquid, a solid, or a gas, but yet it's still all just H. Those are just little helpful things to try to comprehend it, but I'm I'm telling you, you'll, you'll burn your brain cells. It's just one of those very difficult things because in the very next verse, Moses, who's the narrator here, he flips it around in his person, and he says, so God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, Latin, imago Dei. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And those, that's the only two options, by the way. Just a little side note. He created them. The big idea, the next big idea of the Bible is on the screen. We have been created in the image of God. You are more like God than you think you are. Now, you're not, you're not all-powerful. You're not omniscient. You don't know it all. You're not perfect. Some of you think you are, but you're not. But we have been created in his likeness, in his image. Literally, it means we are a reflection of God. Now, let me tell you what that does mean. It means that human life, are you listening? It means that human life is intrinsically more valuable than all other life. It means that saving an unborn baby is more important than saving a whale. It means that feeding and taking care of impoverished people ranks higher than rescuing an endangered animal. Now, don't before all the, the March for the Pandas people, just, just let, me, let me explain. It is important. The Bible does instruct us to be humane and to take care of our animals and to be environmentally friendly. Hey, I'm a dog person. I've got my dog, Nala. We're tight. Okay, I get it. I even have a routine with her every single day. How many have a routine with their dog? I'm not going to talk about cats. Dog. By the way, if you have a routine with your cat, the cat doesn't care. Anyway. I come in every day, every single day, okay? My kids could care less, okay? But I come in and... I come in and Nala, my dog, man, we have this routine. And it was really easy before because my master bedroom used to be on the main level. I could just walk right in there. Now I have to, it's some work, but I'm committed. So I go all the way upstairs and she jumps up on the bed and I simply just put my hands up like this. And she goes, and she puts her hands. I wish I had the video, y'all. I would have had you for the rest of the day. I'll try to remember to share that video. But here's my point. The point still stands, even with how cute that was. Human life is priceless. Human life is priceless. Everybody look at me. Your life is priceless. You have been created. You have been fashioned on purpose by Almighty God in His 
image. You are so highly favored and valued that God was willing to sacrifice his only son, Jesus, to redeem your story and set you free from the power of sin. Can we just pause and give God a hand clap of praise? (laughs) Hallelujah. We have been made in the image of God. We stand above and separate from all other creation. Okay. That was the second one. The third one that we, we get is a little bit of bad, not a lot of bad news. Bad news. Genesis 3 gives us our final big idea of the day. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent, and that's just Satan in the form of a snake. I mean, what better form could he take, right? Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? In the garden, folks, this has been Satan's tactic from the beginning, and nothing has changed. If you look carefully at this, he said, you must not eat from any tree. Well, of course, that wasn't true. God didn't say that. He told them not to eat of the 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 tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here's how it works. We have a clear, this is why we're doing the series, we have a clear directive from God of how we're supposed to live, right? When we get saved, we are on fire for God. We are like, woo, we've got the Jesus t-shirt, we got the bumper sticker, we 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 know the songs, we're like, yes! And all the enemy does at first is just throw in a little hint of confusion all he does. That's what he did here. Just a hint of confusion. Like what, what? And then guess what happens? Our sinful nature, our, our fleshly appetite takes over at that point and pushes us the direction we wanted to go anyway. We wanted to do the thing anyway, didn't we? And now somehow we were confused and maybe, we're, maybe that's not what God said. And, and you know, maybe we, we come up with these arguments and justifications that really, if we took a step back, they mean absolute, they make no sense whatsoever, but it doesn't matter because we're not thinking clearly at this point anyway. And this is what happens. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Everybody say with her. Some of you didn't ever catch that before. Some of you men didn't catch that before. Have you ever noticed that? Adam was with her. Now, obviously, Eve was doing all the talking. I mean, it's reality, right? Come on. Work with me. She was doing all the talking, but he was not off sunbathing somewhere. He was with her. My mother used to have this little saying. Anytime she had a bad day, she'd be like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find Eve, and I'm going to give her a swift kick in the tail. And that's maybe true, but you're going to have to find Adam too because he was there, and he was complicit as well. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Now in the south we'd say naked. Everybody say naked. (laughs) I can't believe you did that. (laughs) They were naked. Now, Now get this, that was funny, but there's a good point here. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for 
themselves. They tried to cover up what they had done by themselves. When we sin, when we mess up, when we fall short, it leaves us feeling exposed and guilty and vulnerable and shameful, and we do everything we can to cover it up, don't we? Sometimes one lie leads to a bigger, to a bigger, to whatever, whatever that looks like. We try to cover it up, and we cannot do it. We cannot do it. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I wonder what that sounded like to them. I have a feeling on this day it sounded somehow different than the day before. Because the day before when they heard the Lord walking, they would have been excited. They would have run to him. They would have been looking forward to this time together. It reminds me of of like a little kid who's been waiting all day for his dad to come home and he hears the car door slam and he's, yeah, meets him at the door and, you know, or the dog or whatever, you know, and, and, and it, unless the kids had a bad day, unless the behavior hasn't been so good. And then the mom, and this is a 1950s illustration, so just bear with me. The mom says, wait until your dad gets home. And then the car door slamming has a different meaning altogether, doesn't it? And the little kid runs and hides, and that's exactly what they do. They hear God coming, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called. I want you to hear that. He called to them. And he says, where are you? Now, God had created everything with absolute perfection. The man and the woman had everything they would ever need or ever want. Most importantly, they had access to God. They could walk daily, hand in hand with the Father. And all of that was destroyed with one act of rebellion. Everything changed when sin entered the garden. Look at the screen. Instead of running to God, sin caused humanity to hide and exist in a shadow of the life that God intended. Up until about 60 years ago, the largest man-made structure in the world was the Great Wall of China. I think Pastor Russ has been on that. Anybody else been on the Great Wall of China? I never have. You're the only... Oh, no, Tim has. thought you were the only one, Pastor Russ. The Great Wall of China. Greatest structure until recently to the modern era. And now that honor and that privilege goes to Fresh Kills Landfill in Staten Island, New York. They closed it down, listen, in 2001 because they did studies and realized it was producing... 2% of all of the methane gas in the world. One place producing 2% of all of the methane. There are places in that, it's thousands of acres. There are places that rise up to 500 feet high, 200 feet taller than the Statue of Liberty. Folks, we have made a mess of God's creation. Isn't it telling and ironic that man's greatest structural achievement is a giant pile of trash? 
Because of sin, we have made a mess of things and a mess of our lives. Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because that's what sin brings. Sin opens the door to fear and locks us down. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you? We don't know how long they had existed at this point. Could have been hundreds, thousands. We don't know. Who told you? Yesterday you were okay with it. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, it was the woman. It was her, this woman that you gave me. She tricked me. She, she gave me some and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me. It's not my fault. My kid's favorite line. It's not my fault. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the excuses began and the blame game commenced. And that's what sin does. That's the vicious cycle that it produces. Come on, we all know it's true, don't we? The worst of the news is this. Listen, Adam passed this new sinful nature onto all of us. There is not one area of your life that sin does not affect and infect. But the worst news of all, sin separates us from a holy God. The worst problem of sin is that it separates us from God. Now, we know the story because of sin. God curses Adam and Eve. He throws them out of the garden. He curses them. He says to Adam, you're going to have to work harder. The ground is going to be hard. You're going to have to earn a living by the sweat of your brow. Can anybody say amen? Come on. That curse is obvious in every one of our lives. The hardest thing we do is to take care of our family and make sure there's food on the table to make sure ends meet. That is directly... From this curse. And of course he tells Eve, you're going to have pain and labor in childbearing. And if all the moms say, amen, I've, come on ladies, I've witnessed this for myself. Anyway, it's real. <laughs> it's real. And then you know what else he tells Eve? He said, you're going to be subject to your husband. And I think the way that's played out is obvious throughout history. Women have always, everything you've ever gotten, you had to struggle for it. The right to vote, the right to be equal, the right to have the same pay and more. All of that, I think, comes from this curse. And all of this is passed down to us. Now, that's the bad news. And a lot of theologians would stop there. A lot of scholars would stop there. That's, That's Genesis 3. That's what it tells us. That's what it says. But I don't think the biggest idea of Genesis 3 is about sin. Look at the screen. The problem of sin is common to every human that has ever been born except one. Except one. Go ahead and give him praise if you know where I'm going right now. Come on. God knew that we would need a Savior. He knew before creation 
That's why it says in Revelation 13, 8, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. And now we get our first glimpse of the coming Messiah when God pronounces a curse on the serpent in verse 14. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy concerning the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. God was not satisfied to to allow death to win. He was not willing that humanity remain lost forever. The big takeaway of Genesis 3 is not about just sin. It's about the fact that God already had a plan in motion to redeem us, to set us free from the gift of sin and death. Jesus would crush the head of the enemy on the cross of Calvary and Satan would strike with everything that he could. Jesus would suffer. Jesus would die. But on the third day, death would die and sin would be defeated forever. Hallelujah. That's the big idea of Genesis 3. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, one of the main reasons we're doing this series is to connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, really, when you think about it, that's what Paul was doing with all of his letters. He wrote half the New Testament. He was a scholar. Before he got saved, he was a scholar in the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish writings, the Jewish scriptures. And so all these letters that he wrote to the church, all he was doing was connecting the dots from the Old Testament. to the. And so let's listen to what he says about this. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. He says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Everybody say Jesus. Just as everyone died because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. If you walked in, you saw the name on our church is New Life. That's why the name is New Life because every man, woman, boy, and girl has the opportunity through Jesus Christ to be set free from their sin and bondage for that death would have no hold on you and so that you can have new life and eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're almost done. As I close, I want us to think about a couple of things. Look at the screen. First, the problem of sin gives us a framework to understand the perpetual suffering on our planet. In other words, if you allow it to, if you understand the problem of sin and what it means, it will answer, listen, it will answer life's most difficult questions. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Every sickness, every famine, every war, every death, every act of terror can all be explained through the problem of sin. Even natural disasters and weather-related tragedies can be traced all the way back to this moment. Evil exists because of sin. I want you to lean in real quickly. Listen to me. And where there is no footprint of the church with people who are full of the Holy Spirit, evil rises. And it gets to a level that is absolutely unimaginable. 
just do a little bit of history, research, just turn on the news, and you see the evidence of how bad it can get without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without people of God in the middle of things. Evil exists because of sin. Everybody look at me. But not forever. We don't know the time or the hour, but the clock is ticking. Satan may have the lease on earth right now. Are you hearing me? But God owns it. And he's about to evict the enemy forever. Judgment is coming for him and his angels. All right, one more thing. And it's about motives. The motives of Adam and Eve are very obvious. They wanted something they couldn't have and they did it anyway. They rebelled against Almighty God. The motive of Satan is obvious as well. His pride when he was in heaven rose to such a level that he wanted to overthrow and become like God. And God body slammed him immediately. (laughs) The Bible says that he was cast from heaven like lightning along with the angels that rebelled with him. And so it's obvious Satan hates everything God loves. And so, of course, he's trying to mess this whole thing up. But what was God's motivation for giving us free will? What was God's motivation for giving us a choice in this thing, knowing we were going to mess it up? Knowing we were going to fall and sin. Knowing what Jesus was going to have to go through on the cross. The only possible answer is absolute and pure love. Immediately after they sinned, God came down and was calling out to them. Blood was shed and a covering was made for them by the hand of God. That was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us on the cross to shed his blood and to cover our sin with his perfect life. All because he loves us. All because he loves you. All because he loves me so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you stand with me?